This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. So, uh, yesterday we began to talk about the theme of our conference, which is as in heaven, so on earth. Okay, as in heaven. So, I wanted to look at some of the qualities of heaven. And the primary quality of heaven that I found or that I see in the scriptures is uh, the notion that there's something that we can tap into, a uh, dimension of spirituality or, or thought called wisdom. Wisdom. The Bible speaks of wisdom from above, and then there's a wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and devilish, the wisdom of this world. And, and, and I find that, you know, in most of our churches, I find in most of our governments, I find in most of our families, we don't have a knowledge problem. There's, we, and I spoke yesterday about all the self-help stuff that's out there and all the infiltration into the church of, you know, Eastern thought, uh, all the uh, psychological babble, the, uh, the, all, all the things that are going on in the world today that have infiltrated the church and, and we have substituted heavenly wisdom often with a kind of a natural wisdom. Kind of this, we just kind of bite any apple and say, oh, that tastes good, that looks nice. But meanwhile, it's either contrary to the word of God or it's not complementary of what God wants to do. It's, it's at best, earthly wisdom. The problem with earthly wisdom is it leads on a pathway downwards. It starts earthly becomes central and ends up devilish. Is anybody listening to me? So I, I, I began to talk about this. We began to break it open a little bit yesterday and we began to speak about this wisdom from above and I can't go over what we did last week but the Bible says that the beginning or the, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is what gives us understanding. And and and. The fear of the Lord is a reverence for God, a reverence for who he is in everything that we do. And holding to his word. Psalm 111 verse 10 said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. And, and here's, here's something that you know, is concerning me about much of the contemporary Christianity that's coming out. Is we've done away with the commandments and we've moved to a doctrine that says, hey... As long as you love God and love everybody and, and feel good about things, it's all right. But the truth is that you cannot love God unless you love his commandments. And, and we're not under, somebody says, well, we're not under the law. But I, can I tell you something? There's a difference between the commandments of God and the commandments of Jesus and the law. The law of Moses was onerous. But the commandments of God are simply his direction for your life to keep you, to protect you, to guard you, to guide you. They're, they're not law. What they are is they are instructions for life and for living. And, and, and you cannot do away with the commandments of God and still love God. You can't change the commands of God and say you love him. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Jesus said that. And we're, we're, it seems like we're working really hard to get away from the commandments of God and just say, as long as I feel good with God, and, the, and, and, and now we redefine who God is. 
I go to California, I love California Christians. I, I call them California Christians because, you know, you talk to them and they have a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. You know, and you, and you talk to most Christians in California, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because California has its own brand of Christianity. And you talk to them and you say, hey, tell me about your belief in Jesus Christ. And then you start to say, well, but the Bible says this. Oh, yeah, but my Jesus wouldn't do that. I said, wait, 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 your Jesus, what does that mean? Well, the God I serve, you know, he's just, and, 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 and then he can allow anything because they made up God in their own mind and then they just tacked Jesus or whoever. And so that's where the deception comes in, folks. So what keeps us from deception? It's walking in wisdom. It's coming into the wisdom of God. And uh, the definition of, of, of wisdom that James was talking about, this wisdom that has meekness or the gentleness of wisdom, meekness and gentleness of wisdom. And that word meekness or gentleness is the word prautes, P-R-A-U-T-E-S, and it means a condition of the heart and the mind that lead, leads a person to deny themselves and be humbly submissive to God and his revealed will and providence. Man, when I read that, when I saw that definition, I thought, man, that's the condition that leads to wisdom, is that we humble ourselves, we're not high-minded, we don't think about what I want, it's what does God want, and we humbly submit to God, and we keep our mind, in, and we keep ourselves under self-denial. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Crucify your flesh, Paul said. These, these, these are terrible things. I, I don't like any of those words. Crucify, cross, I mean... You know, quite honestly, I kind of like the self-help gospel where it's all good and, hey, you're blessed. And guess what? Money comes and money cometh and faith. And, 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 and we keep it all on the positive side. There's nothing negative. But I, I can't read the Bible and see that, hey, guess what? We have some responsibility. We have some, uh, we have a war going on in our members. Our flesh wars against our spirit. And we have an earthly wisdom we can descend to or we can allow heavenly wisdom to begin to operate in our lives. So let's pick it up there and uh, understand that uh, the attitude that God has in our hearts is what you and I, causes you and I to reject or uh, a lifestyle that's characterized by our own self-interests or our own self-assertiveness. And it takes us to the verse 14 where uh, we dropped off yesterday, and it says, but if you have bitter jealousy, by the way, uh, we're in James, okay, and, and we're studying James chapter 3, and this is the 13, 14th verse, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. You know, the first thing that James mentions is bitter jealousy, and the Greek uh, meaning of this is jealousy and contentious rivalry. Jealousy and contentious rivalry. And it's, uh, it's, it's, this is kind of seeing life through a me versus them perspective. Me against you, me against others. And this can creep into your life very easily. It's, a, it's, it's the burning desire of what the Bible calls preeminence or desire to have domination over other people. Now, God has given us a theology of dominion. We have the ability to have dominion over all things. Everything on the earth we have dominion over except one thing. 
God forbids us to have dominion over another person. You have no right to dominate another person. And yet, how many institutions, political, educational, churches, some of our churches are sick, dominating people. I can't tell you how often I get pastors or people come to our church and they say, I go to this church and they say, if I leave the church, I'm going to hell. I say, no, if you leave the church, you're just going to go to another church. (laughs) You're not going to hell. You're a free moral agent. Nobody can keep you in a church. I can't threaten you to stay in the church. For goodness sake, are you kidding me? If you go to another church, you're betraying me. No, you just, you and I didn't get along. All right, you didn't like my personality or... But maybe God did plant you in that church, and, 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 and you're leaving, and maybe you're leaving wrong. Now, you've got to work that out. But you can't be manipulated to stay in a church. You can't be manipulated to stay in a political party. Well, you can be. You can be manipulated, but you're free to leave a political party. You're free to leave a church. Just nudge your neighbor say, you know, I think his preaching's better than your amening this morning. Would you... So here's what happens. This desire for domination over somebody else, this, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than a jealous husband or a jealous wife. Oh my God, (laughs) get married to one of them. I mean, you can't breathe without them (gasps) controlling your life. Hey guys, that's that's a toxic relationship. Get some marriage counseling, get out of that. I didn't leave, I didn't say divorce. I said, just get out of that relationship. I don't believe in divorce. I just believe get out of the relationship. Get out of the mess. Learn how, learn how to fix that. Learn how to, you know, but if you're in a toxic relationship, you've got to confront that thing because it doesn't get better. I don't know why I'm talking about that, okay? But see, this desire can, uh, to, to dominate somebody else, this desire to have jealousy and contentious rivalry can, and, and bitter jealousy can become so powerful that it embitters you towards anybody and you begin to perceive anybody that stands in your way as an enemy. I, 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 I'm not going to say it. So tied to this is this selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is translated from a Greek word a single word. It's only used once in, 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 in the Bible. And it's, uh, and prior to the worst of this, prior to the use of this word in the New Testament, it was used by Aristotle. Uh, he's a Greek philosopher. And he used it in reference to political factions. And their only concern in, 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 in the use of this word was their own agenda. <laughs> Reminds me of Zimbabwe. Uh, you know, our, our politicians, most of them have no concern for Zimbabwe, they only concern about their agenda. I'm still looking to see somebody that has a real clear plan for the nation. A real clear plan for the people, not for their government. See, you have to understand something. When you become a politician in Zimbabwe, you think that you, because you're elected, are the government. You are not the government. The government exists whether you're in power or somebody else is in power. You are not the government. 
You are representing the people and we have allowed you to form a government. But you've never had that before in Zimbabwe. You've just had a dictatorship. Are you listening to me? You've had selfish ambition rule us and bitter jealousy and factionalism and it's exactly what Aristotle said and what the Bible says. Political factions whose concern is only their own agenda. Political leaders whose concern is not the welfare of the nation but their own pockets. Oh, please, please. And then we do what have we done? We, we go looking for where all the money went and we put all the honorable citizens on a roll but you don't see one politician. But they got a 50 room mansion that they got on a civil servant salary. Come on guys. Just tap somebody. Say it's the new Zimbabwe. We can talk like this now. <laughs> of course, I used to talk like this before it was the new Zimbabwe. Because I am not naming names, I didn't say who, but I'm speaking truth. And you know, sometimes we have to speak the truth, okay? So, this is the idea that James had in mind when he's writing this letter. He says, We have selfish ambition when our opinions are the only opinion that matters. I don't know if you have ever been around somebody that has strong opinions. But it's like, it's hardly worth talking to them. Because you say, well, you know, have you ever thought about this? And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, and uh, uh, how about this? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I've, I've had conversations, literally I've had conversations with people where I begin to postulate an idea, a thought that is contrary to theirs. And before I can even get half the words out of my mouth, they say, no, first words out of my mouth, no. You know anybody like that? You know anybody has strong opinions and they can't talk to you without the first words being no? You know that's kind of a conversation killer? Hmm? Tap your neighbor. Say, I think he's talking about me right now. See, I, I, I'm shocked at how many people in Zimbabwe, I, I had one of my businessmen t tell me this one time, he said, he said, you know, Pastor, he said, we are all so educated that while you're casting vision or while we get together in groups, we're all formulating our own idea and we're so strong-willed in our own idea that we discount you before you even get the words out. We all have a theory, we all have our own idea now, we don't ever implement them, but it keeps us from ever agreeing with anybody else. Now, that wouldn't be anybody in this church, would it? You don't have strong ideas, selfish ambition. You see, if you think that your way of doing it is the only right way, you're not going to accomplish very much. I, 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 I've learned that it sometimes there's a hundred different ways to get to your destination. It's not about the way you get there, it's the fact that you get to the destination. 
But I've watched people who do not want to get to the destination. They just want to be right. They have a selfish ambition for themselves. We also have a problem that ties with this in Zimbabwe called covetousness. Jealousy is I am upset that you have something I want. Covetousness is I'm so upset about it that if you can't, if, if I can't have it, you're not going to have it either. Anybody who doesn't share your opinion or your view or agree with you becomes your enemy. Isn't that Zimbabwe? I'm shocked at how many people disagree and then they don't talk to each other again. And over some of the smallest things. The Bible says this is selfish ambition. It's jealousy. An ambitious person is going to push his own opinion, his own viewpoint, his own way of doing things without regard for the thoughts or the feelings of another person. James says it this way. If you have these things in your heart, if you have these things in your mind, he says, don't be so arrogant as to claim that you possess godly wisdom. For such traits are contrary to the spirit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a lie. That's why especially a man of God. You know, it's easy to get arrogant as a man of God. All of us have done it at times. I've been guilty of it. All of a sudden, God starts moving through you, the power of God, and you think you know everything. All of a sudden, you know, I'm God's gift to the world. No, I'm not God's gift to the world. I am a servant of the Most High God. I am, at best, I have to be the least amongst us. I have to be the one who is willing to wash another man's feet. It's very humbling to stand on a platform and speak to thousands of people. It's very humbling to speak to nations. And, 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 and I, I do it with fear and trepidation. Paul said it this way. He says, I fear that having preached to others that I myself might be a castaway. He, I have, there's an attitude, once you grasp the gravity of what we do, that you humble yourself. It's, this isn't a stage, it's not a, it's not a, a platform. This is, this is not where I entertain the crowd. This is where I very humbly bring a word that I trust that God can somehow open my mouth and bring something that could possibly touch the heart and the life of another person. And I do it with fear and trepidation. This is not the place to be arrogant. Verse 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. This kind of wisdom that we're talking about. But it's earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. King James Bible says it's earthly, sensual, and devilish. There should be a slide that goes up, guys. Do you have the slideshow today? You had it yesterday. You should be continuing today with the slides. Did you not keep it? I wasn't very smart. Can somebody take this, the, the flash drive that's on my desk and take it back to them again? Do we have a different team back there today? That's not good, guys. All right. Today, we idolize a sinful world. We have pastors today that are running around taking pictures with Sinners and say, hey, look who I'm with, instead of sinners running around with pastors saying, hey, my pastor. <laughs> I, 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 I tell you, it's subtle, but I tell you, you have to be wise here. There's a wisdom 
And, 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 and here's, how, here's, here's, here's how you have to look. I, I remember a little girl, her name was Hannah Montana. And every little, and she was a Christian. Her, her daddy, Billy Ray Cyrus, uh, you know, praise God, they're, they're California Christians. California Christians, okay. They had their own brand of Christianity. And, 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 and Jesus, and praise God, while we smoke a little weed and do a little drugs and, and have a little sex on the side. But, yeah, that's okay. Just hallelujah, Jesus. I, well, we, God bless you all. God bless you. How many of the words don't mean anything? And when these people were representing Jesus, little Hannah Montana was the sweetest little thing. But Hannah Montana morphed into something that was earthly, then became sensual. She became Miley Cyrus. And if you watch her life today, she's into stuff that's devilish now. I mean, it's gone way off beam. And, and that seems to be the pattern of earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom leads not upward, not towards more holiness, not towards separation, not towards, but it leads to more of a secular, earthly, sensual, devilish. And, 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 and that's what I see creeping into the church. We're not becoming more holy and pure and righteous. We're becoming more worldly and earthly. And then it begins to be sensual. Then it begins to, to be devilish. There's things that happen in church today that 25, 30 years ago, people would have, they would have freaked out. You say, well, you're just old fashioned. No, I, I, you know, I'm not, I, I know I'm old. And you know what? You're going to get old one day. But I'm trying to say, wait a minute, there's a wisdom from above. You know, when, when, you know the, the first time we had a preacher come and swear from our pulpit, he was an American, California Christian, you know, and, and, he, and he swore from the pulpit. And it was kind of a shock to our system because, you know, in our culture, in, in Africa, we don't swear that much. Did you, did, have you noticed we just don't do that? And, 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 and so when he swore from the pulpit... Now, they do that in America all the time. They could just use swear words in the pulpit all the time because, you know, it's kind of the culture now. But that shocked us as a church. It shocked me. I had to pull him aside and say, hey, you, you, you can't use that word from our pulpit. See, that's becoming to be earthly, moves towards central. I, I, I mean, I, I see guys that say things from their pulpits today that make me blush. But you know what? If you hear it long enough and if you slip enough, pretty soon you don't hold yourself to the standard of heavenly wisdom because you've begun the slippery slope of earthly, sensual. And eventually, I'm sorry, but it leads to devilishness. Tap your neighbor. Just tap him. Say, you know, pastor's gone off his mind. He's out of his mind. <laughs> Just forgive our pastor. Just forgive him. You see, today we idolize the world. We idolize the sinful world. And we seem to condone and even commend earthly wisdom. 
But this, is the, this, this wisdom that we're playing with is different than the wisdom that Jesus Christ gives. James says, this wisdom, rather than being heavenly, is earthly. Rather than being spiritual, is natural, is carnal. Rather than be divinely bestowed, it's demon-inspired. You see, the products of this wisdom are revealed in the next verse. Here's how you know if you're operating in this kind of wisdom. Verse 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Disorder and every evil thing. You see, when arrogant people pursue their selfish ambitions, there comes nothing but contention and strife. What have we had in Zimbabwe in our political system for the last ever, forever? Contention and strife. Think about it. Try to go to the, anywhere in the civil service. Try to get something done. But never mention that you're from another faction. But never try to get something done at a high level because nobody can do it because they don't know which faction you represent and they don't know which faction they're fanning the flames of the fire. So nothing gets done because there's contention and strife and selfish ambition. Everything is unsettled, agitated. There's no mutual confidence. There's no unity. There's no plan, no effort. There's no cooperation in promoting a common goal or a common objective. There's no long-term stability. One of the key things to a prosperous nation or a prosperous church or a prosperous family is continuity, predictability. If you live in a family where dad is unpredictable, it's hard to live there. One day, dad, hey, hey, man, come here, son. Next day, boom, beating the hell out of you. Well, wait a minute, what, 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 so how do the kids act? One day, Zimmer's saying, hey, come on, amnesty. The next day, they're taking your business away from you. Well, what the heck? Do you trust them? No, I don't want Zimmer to know anything about my life, my business, my money. The government, oh, some guy wakes up and has some kind of crazy idea and he implements it as law. I think everybody should wear a green safety vest when they drive their car. I think everybody should do that. Why? Because I own the vest company. Huh? guys it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure this out where there's no predictability there's no stability there's no confidence where there's no confidence there's nobody willing to take a risk there's nobody willing to try to do something there's no long-term stability and this happens whether it's a, in a family, a city, a nation, or even the church. If this spirit happens to come into a church, though, and begins to prevail in a congregation, it becomes impossible to expect any progress, any divine or heavenly thing to happen in your church or in your life. We have a couple of our churches, and, you know, we had undercurrents in them, and, and all of a sudden you find out that the, the guy controlling 
the finances or the guy controlling the, the, the prayer meeting or something like that was actually subverting the, the, the leadership of the church, of subverting the pastor or has a seditious spirit. Sedition simply means he lusts for the same position as the senior pastor. You know, it's terrible to have this ambition, this selfish ambition. In the family, when the wife tries to control the husband, or when the children try to control the family, these things can become very, very detrimental. There's no godly wisdom, no heavenly wisdom. Verse 17 says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Now, come on, let's get this. First pure. Pure. There's a, there's a good test right there. I'm going to go through these. Then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. See, the wisdom we require, that we acquire through studying the Word of God, through fervent prayer, through being in the presence of God, has these qualities about it. I'm going to break them down real quick for you before I, I, I got, what, how many minutes? Ten minutes. I got ten minutes. Can I do all these in ten minutes? Seven points in ten minutes? Let's see if we can do it. Pure. So here, the Greek word pure is hagnos. It means being free from any form of defilement, free from impure lusts like pride, jealousy, selfishness, prejudice, wrath, and lasciviousness. Everybody say lasciviousness. You have no idea what that means, but just say lasciviousness. It values and promotes purity of heart, purity of mind, and purity of life. It is to follow God's moral directives with unmixed motives. It's to be innocent of ulterior motives. Matthew says it this way, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, I just love our speaker who's talking about entering into the courts of heaven. You know, he talks about dreams and visions he has dreams and visions like I changed my socks, you know. Me, me, I think I've had three dreams and one and a half visions my whole entire life. I've been a Christian for like 45 years and it's like, you know, and to be honest with you, you know, I hate to see prophets coming. Because every time a prophet comes, I know my life's going to go through hell. So when I hear the word prophet, I'm a non-profit kind of guy, you know. I run away from all the prophets because I, I just know that if one ever catches me, he usually messes my life up. What I'm trying to say is this, and that's not true, I'm just playing with you. The truth is that God wants a pure heart, and out of a pure heart we see God, we see God. That's, the, that's where wisdom comes from, from God. He says, be peaceable. Pure and godly wisdom is peaceable, it's peaceable. Solomon wrote these words about wisdom in Proverbs 3, 17, he says, her, that is wisdom's way, or ways, are pleasant ways, and all of her paths are peace. You know, I, I love in Colossians, the Bible says, Be, let the peace of God rule, let it referee in your heart. Jesus said, Jesus said be led forth in peace. God, God, there's something about this quality of peace. And now, peace isn't, um, um that, that's not the peace we're talking about. The peace of God the peace of God isn't Eastern religion. The peace of God is a force. 
the force of peace that works on the inside of you. And the kind of peace that James is describing is the kind that yearns to avoid factions and avoid dissension. It's not looking for a fight. It's, not lo- it's looking for an amenable way to solve problems and issues. Our attitude towards, one, towards other people is one that shows that not only do we desire, but we also truly love peace. We want to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. See, a lot of you are peacekeepers. You just don't say anything, and so you suffer trying to keep the peace. It's not real peace. Peacemakers address issues. They, they tackle issues. They talk about things. They, they get in each other's faces, not to contend, but to work it out to where we can have peace. I wish you could be in the back room with Bishop Vaughn and some of these speakers because we're leaving no stone unturned. Why? Because the worst thing is preachers. We get together and some guys preach at heresy and we all sit there and say, well, praise God, brother. Hallelujah, you'll never come back to this conference again. But love you, brother, praise God. Never confront the sin. Never confront the error. Never confront the fact that he may in ignorance be saying things. But no, I won't allow that in our conference. We're growing as much with each other, talking about things as you are out here being taught. And let me tell you something, if somebody preaches heresy from this pulpit, and you've seen it, I'll get up and say, well, I thank you, brother, we appreciate that. I'll never uncover him, I'll just say, but now in our house, here's how we believe that. I'll modify it. I'm not going to let you walk out of here thinking that what that guy just said was truth. But I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to agitate, I'm trying to keep peace. I'm trying to be a peacemaker. There's nothing worse than a confused congregation. So rather than being contentious, divisive, godly wisdom promotes peace. Matthew 5 verse 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, peace is not the absence of conflict, but the willingness to work towards peace to make peace as opposed to keeping peace. Gentle is the next word, gentle. The wisdom from above is gentle. There are times when this Greek word has no exact English equivalent. I, I, you know, this is a very tough word in English. But the word, the word that we translate as gentle is best described by a guy named Joseph Thayer. He's a, 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 a guy who was a writer of a lexicon called the Thayer's Lexicon, and he said it this way. He says, the word gentle defines that considerateness that looks humanely and reasonably at the facts of a case. I couldn't help but think when I was studying this about our courts of heaven, that it's through gentleness that you are made great. It's through this gentleness that you stand in the courts of heaven and you carefully consider the facts of the case that you're presenting. God is gentle. His gentleness made him great. Our gentleness is what makes us great. We sit and we consider. A gentle person is a wise person. And his, and, and, and his wisdom is seen in the way that he or she takes great pains to make sure that she gathers or he gathers all the facts about a particular issue before drawing conclusions and rendering opinions. How many times have you seen healthy fellowship in a church being disrupted or destroying the fellowship of the church or members being hurt 
at, because somebody jumped to a conclusion about a particular person or a particular issue. That's why the Bible says, don't receive an accusation against an elder, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses. That's why when somebody comes to me and say, they tell me their side of the story, I, the proverb comes to me and says, be careful that you don't listen to one side of the story until you've heard the other side of the story and they're proven wrong. You know, there's three sides to every story. Your side, the other side, and the truth. Tap your neighbor. Say, I've been there before. I've been there before. Yeah, I've been there before. I've seen it happen. In fact, in, in uh, situations that I'm very familiar with, uh, it, it was a lack of wisdom. It was a lack of gentleness towards other people that resulted in people reacting or often becoming angry or bitter. And, 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 and this was before they had all the facts. Instead of patiently waiting for all the facts, all the pertinent information to be gathered and analyzing it, people jumped to conclusions, make their opinions heard, speak out loud, causes destruction. I've seen it in the church where somebody speaks out about somebody, then they find out they're wrong. They're so embarrassed, they leave the church. They've hurt the other person so bad, they leave the church. It always shocks me you leave the church. You know, I play golf at the golf club down here. I've seen guys in a sand trap punching each other. But neither one of them leave the golf club. They just come back next week and play golf again. Now, they don't play with each other again, but that's okay. You can sit on this side of the church and you sit on that side until you work it out. Eventually, they have to get back because a tournament's coming up and they got to get back and hug each other. All right, we, yeah, we had a fight. And then, and then it becomes the story of the club. Yeah, <laughs> look, I broke my thumb when I punched that guy. Haven't been able to play golf in nine months. Oh, no, in the church, the wisdom from above will prevail. Proverbs 18 says it this way. The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. He who gives an answer before he hears it is it's folly and shame to him. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.